There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. After three years of work, our follow-up to the Meat Eater Fish and Game Cookbook is here. It's the Meat Eater Outdoor Cookbook, wild game recipes for the grill, smoker, campfire, and camp stove. Here is your book for everything that's best cooked or eaten outside, from grilling to open fire cooking to Dutch ovens to smokers to barbecue to backpacking meals to how to pull off the perfect fish fry with pit stops along the way for lessons about Ice Age cooking methods and the best five ways to construct a cooking fire you can be proud of. And of course, we're focusing on wild game and fish here with over 100 recipes, including stuffed venison burgers three ways, wild duck with ahi verde sauce, a jerky made with cola, a gin and tonic made with fire charred lemons, and grilled frog legs made with a sticky sweet sauce. This ain't your normal cookbook, so be prepared to be surprised. Get your copy now. For more info, visit TheMeatEater.com or buy it wherever books are sold. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Hunting Collective. Man, it's good to be podcasting again this week. And I'm joined by Remy Warren and Tim Burnett. You may know both these gentlemen from the show Solo Hunter that appears on the television and you watch it there. Um, they're both, you know, outside of being involved in that television program, both these guys are experienced hunters. Uh, they know their shit when it comes to Western hunting and they've just got a bunch of experience to share with us all. Uh, so we're going to, we're at the sheep show, we're at the Yeti booth, we're hanging out, uh, it's a great day. A lot of like-minded folks walking around this show, and we are enjoying uh, a weekend in Reno, Nevada, which happens to be Remy's hometown and the home state for Mr. Burnett. So without further ado, Tim and Remy in Reno, enjoy. Hey, Remy Warren. What's up, Ben O'Brien? Hey, man. Cam, checking out the sheep show. Oh, oh. And it's in my hometown of reno nevada you're from reno nevada yeah this is my stomping grounds where we did the uh meat eater podcast yesterday um i used to do hockey practice there in that same room in that room when you were a child of the was this when you were how long ago was this like middle school age you're deep you're deep in the reno tim burnett's here hey tim i am an implant of reno though oh yeah yeah 
Idaho. I feel a lot of pressure. These I'd have Reno trivia or something. We could have Reno trivia. The first thing I would say is don't eat the purple parrot. What's <laughs> wrong with the I've purple never, parrot? Have you heard of the purple parrot? No. What you guys said you had lunch there yesterday. I, had I no didn't clue. have lunch there. We, it, we, that sounds listen, disgusting. We got. We flew. We, we flew in. We were. It was late. We wanted sushi. <laughs> it, and it turns out none of your sushi restaurants are open past you know, nine p.m. Great sushi just down the street. Everywhere like the best. And but there's good sushi. But it, it was past nine p.m. There was no. There was one place open, according to the internet. And we went there and they turned us down. Uh, so we just went down the escalator and found the purple parrot. Oh, inside a casino. In the Atlantis. Oh, okay. Well, the sushi in the Atlantis is open late. Yeah, we tried to go there and it was, oh, they gotcha. turned us away. Bastards. Yeah. Well, okay, now I understand where the purple parrot came from. You like, thought we just like Googled it. I thought you Googled it. like you some. Remy was super mad that we went. To, he was like, what, what are you guys doing, man? It's like, you're giving Reno a bad name. Like, Reno has really good food. And it's Reno's extremely strange that it's this, like, I think Reno is the sushi capital of the West. And you, there will be people, people always challenge me on it. Then I take them to sushi in Reno, and they're, <laughs> and they're like, like, "This is this bang. is incredible. They're, this is the best." There's yeah. guys that come in for shows, like the Prime guys, where they come in, they're just like, "All we want to do is go to sushi. Just take us to sushi because it's yeah. so good here. It, it's good, but it's also you're like, okay, is it the quality of fish? Well, the quality is good, but we aren't competing on quality. Right. We're competing on price, quantity with good quality. Does that make sense? Is that the equation? That's the equation, and that is what you you're eating that, and you're like, you can have anything you want for twenty five dollars. Like, all in. Like, as much as you want. So you're just, you're not full, you're not saying the best quality sushi, you're saying the best. But the quality is as good as most places. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think it's as good as I've had pretty much Yeah, I mean, there's like a few places they get like a specialty fish, and you're like, okay, like, yeah, I'm eating fluke or something, you know? But like, for your standard sushi, and then just having like good creative rolls that are... Like the other day I went, I was just like told the chef, I brought a bunch of guys, uh, all the outdoorsmen, some of the outdoorsmen crew up there. Yeah. And they're just like, you know, just let the chef go wild. And I mean, it was just incredible. You know, and you're like, okay, this is awesome for $25 a person. Now, plus, uh, plus you get free sake. <laughs> now I wish I had some kind of a coupon deal <laughs> yeah, for exactly. listeners or some shit. I've got a punch card that's got a free oh, one on it. So I'll do if it. you want it. Yeah. If we want to offer that to us. Yep. Tim will mail you his punch card. <laughs> no, no, no. It's for no, Reno gonna, only. You got to no. Uh, you got to come to Reno. You got to come buy mine, and then I'll give you my punch card. That's right. Don't be, don't be a cheapskate. No freeloaders. All right. Well, we're at the we're here like uh, in the corner of the Yeti booth. If you hear this like soft, well, not soft, this murmur in the background, that's all the sheep show folks walking around checking out. We got first light hanging out. We, there's Yeti. Um, so that's what you're hearing. But. Give me a sheep show. Give me a sheep show story. What was your first sheep show, Remy? Because you, you know. um, yeah, I've been coming to the sheep show probably since I was, I don't know, since I could walk. Maybe, I mean, I honestly, can't remember. It used to be at what is now the GSR in Reno, uh, but I think it used to be like Bally's or MGM. Then, <laughs> like, it's changed names like three times. Like that. That's how old school I go with the sheep show. I think they've been doing it for what, 30 years or something? Six or something. And yeah, most of them that. have been in Reno. Um, they did go away for a little bit. They kind of did like a little, they went to Wyoming and kind of rotated around and then they, they were in Vegas. Were they never in Vegas? Or is that SCI? Um, they might've done Vegas once and they kind of combined with the mule deer foundation for a little while when their members, you know, weren't as strong to do. And then it's cool to see it grow to this level um, yeah. where they're back at the convention center a big show 
Yeah. Um, Gray Thornton from Wild Sheep was telling me they're, they're growing like 30, 40% a year uh, attendees of this show. Yeah. And as you know, you guys have been to all the shows. I feel like it's one of the most fun places you can go, man. You can win a sheep hunt around every corner, but it's just a casual atmosphere, man. It's not. Yeah, it's, it's my favorite show. I think probably because the crowds aren't like they are in other shows, yeah. but it's also the stuff that like you're really passionate about. And it's not just all sheep. There's a lot of other cool things. And the fact that I can go home and sleep in my own bed, that's pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good for you guys. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's like it's like the home game. Like We're really rooting for the sheep show because I feel like it's a part of Reno every year. And now, if they move it on me, then I'll be like, "Damn them! <laughs> Damn Bastard. you!" That's like that's like the Raiders going to Las Vegas, you know? <laughs> right? It's now, like, Tim, have you ever won a sheep hunt here at the show? I've never won a sheep hunt, though. No. Nope. Do, you, do I, you enter the raffles and the different things? Uh, you know what? In all honesty, I don't usually. Just just random depends on what mood I'm in that day. Like, I I, I have some years, but mostly I don't. Remy is a, a winner, right? Oh yeah, and I do enter the raffles. Uh, for I've, so I've won a doll sheep hunt here. Um, the best odds are like the one more for four. So if you've got three sheep, um, you Which can, you have, don't I you? I have, yeah. Uh, so because the, you got to be present. That, so, right? so it's a, okay, so there's four basic species of sheep. I mean, there's a lot of species of sheep. But in North America, we classify the doll sheep, stone sheep, desert bighorn, and Rocky Mountain bighorn. Um, so when I was a kid, I drew a desert bighorn tag in Nevada and harvested that. I drew a California bighorn tag a handful of years ago in Nevada, harvested that. And then um, they used to have a half slam drawing where if you had two sheep, you, could, you were automatically entered into this one drawing. You couldn't uh, buy tickets for it, and you had to be present to win. So it was really good odds. Um, and my dad won that like 10 years ago, and the outfitter let me shoot a sheep on that hunt he's like as long as there's two legal rams together you can shoot one oh if you have, you know i had tag and everything Live the dream so i shot a sheep that then and then a couple years later i came here i put one ticket in the doll sheep drawing won that <laughs> <laughs> and now i'm in the one more for four which is, that- is the they they no longer have the half slam so they have the three-quarter slam or one more for four because um yeah, so I How mean, do they for run that, that? So it's like you they, you, you register win. your sheep that you've harvested with them yep. of the species. They give you a ticket, and everybody that's registered gets a ticket. But if you don't show up to the banquet that night, and they draw your name, you're out. Right. One year, a guy went to the bathroom during that time. Oh no! Drew his name. Oh no! He didn't get it. They move on. Great. Oh. He said he was watching it live or streaming it live or something or heard it live. Oh, yeah. The guy w- was streaming it while he was going to the bathroom. While he was heard streaming. his name oh. being called oh. and then was like, no, you've got to be kidding me. Oh, I have a friend. Don't have Taco Bell I have a friend. The one year he missed, he was drawn. And then two years ago, a guy was like, I mean, sometimes they'll go through 10 names and you're in a room looking around going, there's not that I'm that, that's the best odds for a sheep tag Ever. probably in the world. Yeah. I don't know. And there was a guy that wasn't there the year before. His name was drawn. The following year he got drawn on the third I think it was like the third draw after the first two weren't there. Wow. I mean he learned his lesson and at least he got rebuttals. So how they did for the hunt, do they when they draw your name they're like, "Oh, you need a stone." We yeah. you get a stone hunt, so they right. just have, and they book the hunt for you. They book the hunt for you. Yeah, and so people donate to that specifically. Yeah, um, to keep that going, and then that money goes to pay an outfitter to book your hunt. And like, 
you know, if you think about, I actually just wrote an article for Western Hunter magazine um, about sheep hunts and drawings because there's a, if you investigate some of the draws around the West, some of the raffles have way better odds than the state draws. Yeah. Like there's, there's um, the California uh, chapter for Wild Sheep Foundation has a drawing. I think it's like one in 150. Um, they only sell 150, t- you know. We just yeah, screwed that's, that up. That's way Great better. Odds, I already yeah. bought my ticket, so go go for it, guys. It doesn't matter. <laughs> like, I'm, 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 I mean, uh, Wyoming does something similar. Um, Idaho, man, their Wild Sheep Foundation has some of the most incredible draw odds for a sheep tag through these raffles. Well, I know Alaska does, too. Alaska, Alaska has several different yeah. uh, chapter events. Yeah, and so, you know, a lot of these chapter events have some crazy draw odds. Uh, you know, Wild Sheep, the ones where you got to be present and, oh, even hunt expo next week yeah the only reason i go to hunt expo no offense hunt expo but it's to try to win a sheep tag or one of those, well, those won, other tags i won, won that i drew that uh drew an elk tag in pangish lake uh on a five dollar really five dollar raffle i guess you call that a lottery i don't know what yeah. you call that it's a it's a raffle but yeah i mean it's like the alaska state draw is technically a raffle as well so well, that's it's a good time like this is a good way to spin it because it's it's kind of tag draw season right now um we'll get to the tail tail end of some of it but both of you guys do a lot of that. Talk about, um, Tim, you start. Talk about how if a guy, you know, is having shitty luck on his tags, like what are some of the things, Alaska being one for me, where you, it's a lottery. You put in, you put, you could put in for 12 different animals. Um, what are some ways around OTC, some ways that are around the tag draw system that are just great opportunities that people might be missing out there? So I, I'm probably not the one to speak on that because yeah. I don't put in for a lot of the draws yeah. in a lot of the states. I've always been one that I, I like freedom and I like to, well, I, not that I wouldn't want to draw well, these but tags. That's, that's still would, a good conversation. Right? Like how do you, you, know, you hunt all over the place. What's the strategy for somebody who doesn't want to play the game? So um, I'm terrible with research. My brother helps me out a bunch with yeah. like Montana, Wyoming, um, and a lot of some of the Idaho stuff. And then one of my good buddies, Riley Warwood, he, he you know, runs the bow shop in Nephi, Utah. He does all of my Utah, New Mexico, Colorado, um, all of those things. And then I just take care of, of Idaho and Nevada for yeah. myself. But I don't put in for a lot of the sheep hunts or any of those because the odds are you're probably never going to draw. Um, and I just choose not to play those odds because living in Nevada, you've got better chance of drawing a sheep oh, tag than, than anywhere else. Um, and then occasionally I'll drop into some of these raffles, but I really don't. So I'm not, I'm probably the worst example. People <laughs> are like, yeah, you're stupid. You know, you're going to get better opportunities if you would, which is true. Um, I just don't. Yeah. But you mostly, it's because you mostly do over the counter stuff, I which is a better, yeah. which yeah. is a great, so that's a good option for the guys that don't yeah, want to play kind the of game. The, right. the question I was asked is like, you know, if you What's the strategy? What's your strategy going into these things? I, I just kind of have the core hunts that I know I'm going to do that year that are the given, you know, and then and then I kind of have in the back of my head and I have a plan that if I fill my tag in this state, I'm going to pop over to the state. So, for instance, I'll put in for Montana every year. And if I draw Montana, then that's going to be my focus for elk. That'll be my focus for elk that September because um, I only want to hunt elk in the rut pretty much. Yeah. And if I kill in montana or if it's sucking in montana i know that i can always hop over to idaho because i i um have my idaho over the counter bowl license and so i can either get my second bowl there or that if the hunting sucks in montana i'll just move over there and and, and run and try yeah. to do it there so that's kind of how i play it is the over the counter is something you can all, generally always get even though some of the units in idaho are starting to sell out a little bit 
But that way, like, I, I, I don't know, I just thrive on freedom and flexibility. And I can call up my wife and say, I just filled my tag. I'm not supposed to be home for four days. I'm going to pop over to yeah. here, you know, and yeah. go hunt for a little bit longer. Yeah. So, and I do that in the Midwest, too, when I chase whitetails, too. So, Remy, give us your... I know you've got some specific things that you do. Oh, yeah. I mean, I play the tag game. Like, Tim's the pessimist, and I'm the optimist. <laughs> yeah, I like, yeah. I like <laughs> so the true. solo yeah. hunter. It's like, but, <laughs> I mean, t- the reality is most all my tags are over-the-counter tags or general area tags because, you know, you're just chasing tags, chasing tags, chasing tags. I mean, I've got more points in more places than a lot of people, and I'm still not getting tags. But some of them, too, it's like, the way that they stagger the draws, you know, I might get a tag in a state that draws first. So I keep building points in the states that end up drawing later. Like California, you know, I, I have enough preference points to guarantee the archery tag that I want. Maybe double the points that I need to guarantee the archery tag I want. But that's the last draw to come out. And by then, I'm already I'm already Book busy. Full, yeah. I'm, I've already figured out a plan. Um, so, you know, I do play the draw game. Um, it can be, you know, I see both sides of it, but I started like I started when I was in middle, like high school, 15, 14, 15, 16, like I would take the money that I made and save it to apply for tags. Yeah. And back then they didn't have like youth discounts. That wasn't a thing. Like they didn't care about their youth. You know, (laughs) it wasn't, that wasn't a thing. So I, I started applying because I kind of had a little bit of foresight knowing that how much I love hunting. And I was like, now when I'm an adult, I want to be able to draw a tag. The only way to get 20, 30 points is to start when you're young. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Really young. And keep applying. So I've been doing it for essentially over half my life. Yeah. Um, I've only drawn, well, I've drawn, I've been fortunate. I've drawn two sheep tags in Alaska. I've drawn two sheep tags in Nevada. Um, but your Alaska strategy, I mean, that's something that people are always asking about. Like, oh, how do you how do you approach Alaska each year? But I will not give my secrets. No, just that, kidding. That's a tough yeah. one. Because, Where do you uh, go? No, Where? so I, I apply for Alaska. Um, you know, well, so for the sheep, you have to apply through an outfitter, which yep. um, my good buddy Jeremy Rusink, he has rogue expeditions. And so, um, like, I apply through him, you know, and then, you know, because it has to be, like, yep. guided and legal and whatever. So that's – I go through him. And I mean, he, he's a good dude to go with. Like if you're, if you're like, I want to go on a sheep hunt, the, the best hunt, the cheapest hunt that you can go on in North America is a doll sheep. Yeah. He has really good prices on doll sheep and, um, you know, he, he likes to have younger hunters. And I think that that's why his prices are a little bit lower. Like he <laughs> would rather, a harder hunt. Fit, oh yeah. He, he crowd, would, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, cause I think you price yourself out of guys that, um, yeah. Like thirty some thirty, you, you, you start know, going twenty five, thirty thousand yeah, for a sheep hunt. That's crazy, and I mean they're still expensive. But I would say he's on the lower end of a really expensive hunt. Which, if you think about, it, if you saved for four years and don't apply, like his thing was like, look, if you didn't apply in any of these states and you save that twenty five hundred bucks a year, you'd be sheep hunting, <laughs> right? <laughs> you <know>? Like <laughs> anyway, you'd be sheep hunting yeah. way sooner than you're yeah. ever going to draw a tag. And, like, that's his strategy, and I think that that's actually a good strategy um, because you can just book it, be like, hey, I'm going in this year. You know, I, I don't know. That, that's a good strategy, too, like, if you want a sheep hunt. Yeah. Um, but living in the state of Nevada, we're fortunate. Like, I will probably – I've drawn a desert tag. I've passed my waiting period 
and now I have like seven or eight points again. So I will draw one, maybe two more desert sheep tags in my life. I will probably kill three to five rams in the state of Nevada as a resident. That's why I live in Nevada and love Nevada. <laughs> I was about to you say, <laughs> this is a great ad for yeah, living in Nevada, it, but, being a resident. But, like, seriously, don't move to Nevada. It's yeah, screwing no, up we everything. Don't, <laughs> screw up our freaking odds. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of folks that listen to this. We get, I get messages, and, and just on the media platform, we get it all the time, with people that have no idea how to start any of this. You know, So a lot of the things we've just said are, like, presumptions that people understand what we're talking about when we say certain terms. How would you guys, if somebody said, I live, I live in the east, I live in the south, I live wherever, I want to come west, I want to um, do an over-the-counter hunt, I'd like to start putting in for draws, I'd like to start getting in the process. What's the, like, what are the things that you would tell someone if they walked up to you and asked that very detailed and very you know, nuanced question? I think it's worth turning it over to the professionals. You know? I mean, there's, there's application companies out there like Epic and yeah. Hunt and Fool and all those yeah. others. You know, for us, I, I was looking at their fees because I don't subscribe to any of those either, but I was looking at their application fees and it's, it's pretty dang reasonable to have somebody that knows what they're doing that can just have a phone conversation with you to set up a strategy. Um, and that's what they do for their livelihood, you know, so yeah. they, they're going to be a lot better at it. So I would recommend guys get aligned with someone like that if they're wanting to come out West and find out what opportunities on a draw tag, but there's a lot of over-the-counter stuff too, you know, and a lot of that just comes from social networking yeah. and, and getting to know people. Um, if you depend on how big of balls you got, you can do some map research and just yeah. find find some areas and go. And I've got a lot of I've talked to a lot of people that are like, yeah, we we went out to Colorado, we picked a spot on the map over the counter, went out and just got it handed to us. Got our we asses wanna, kicked. Yeah, we want to do it different this time, you know. So what would you recommend? And I'm like. Do it again. Just don't go to that spot. You know, go to somewhere else because that's that's really what it takes. It's you're just gonna, yeah, you're over gonna and get over. Likely, you're gonna get beat up at least a couple of times before you hit uh, hit a spot where it's worth it. And how hard do you want to work for it? You know, I mean, it seems like yeah, it'd be nice to be able to just call someone up and say, "Where can I go elk hunting?" and have them put you in a honey hole. Yeah. But that's the easy button. You know, I mean, how how hard do you want to work in it with it, and how much do you want to invest into it for the future and the long term, yeah. and to find a spot that you're gonna. That's got to be a good a point because when some, a lot of people that are asking that question that just really don't have a perspective on what they're about to try to do, the, quite, the thing is just, just be ready to work. Like yeah. be ready to hit your head against the wall. Like or, just be ready. Or go so, with a guide and do it once yeah. and see if you like it, yeah. you know, and then, and then make a plan from there. But yeah. I think um, I'll, I'll break it down like this from like the – in just – this will be like a how-to guide breaking it down. Yeah. All right. So you're, you're new to hunting in the West, right? So – like I get a lot of questions like, uh, how do I play the application game? So I'd say if you want to spend the, the least amount of money doing it, but have like the best success for yourself, I do this. You pick three states, okay? You do one state that has a random draw. You do one state that is on preference points, and you do one state that is on bonus points, okay? So preference point, like you build up, and then when the you apply with that the highest number of preference points to a certain area, you're guaranteed a tag. Yep. Like Wyoming has that. Um, Colorado has that. California has that. Now those preference point states, like the best areas might take more than you could ever get in your lifetime, but there are decent areas that take three to yeah. four points. So you yeah. plan on those Utah has for three to four too, yeah. years out. Then the random draw states would be like New Mexico, Idaho, Alaska, 
put in for those because you could get you're on the same starting out new you're on the same playing field for a great tag as everybody else yeah and that and that playing field's not going to change right. it's not going to flip or flip around on you correct and then the bonus point is like everybody's in the hat but the people with the more points have a greater chance like nevada um utah's like a modified preference and bonus point state um uh where else nevada's bonus montana's bonus um so those states, like, you could draw any year, yeah. but the longer you put in, the more you're rewarded. So you're setting up a plan of, okay, I could randomly draw something, I have something planned out, and then I have a better chance of randomly drawing something the longer I do it. Yeah. Now, you pick what you're, you want to hunt, because the thing about a draw tag is you're going to have a lot more opportunity. Because it's, it's, it's similar to hunting, like, private land, because there's fewer people. And generally, like, higher age class of animal, like, more yeah. opportunity, easier easier in the fact of, like, more opportunity. But in the meantime, you do those draws, and then you resort to a general unit As I say, you when you want to go. You like, you're over-the-counter backup. Now, I'm, now yeah. I'm going OTC. I'm doing a general area in Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, Oregon. Like, you know, there are general units in nearly every state for some species. Nevada is the only state that does not have a gen or one of the only states that doesn't have some general unit for something, but there are, you know, tags that might be easier to draw. Um, so that that's where you're going to get your experience and you do that. You want to like do that your first year you start applying, be like, okay, now I'm going to go out West for the planning process. I use a lot of maps and then you're just going to have to do your research. Um, that Onyx app is incredible that, uh, for planning. Like even me who hunts, like I use, I used to use paper maps. Now I use Onyx maps. Like there's so many like layers and all this other stuff. And then just read articles on elk hunting, what you're looking for. Like, I don't know. There's probably a library somewhere of 30 articles that I've written on how to find elk spots. I don't know how you get those, but like <laughs> you should present, you, you figure it out. I should, fi- uh, I mean, Western you know Hunter, saying? Western yeah, Hunter, a lot like, of places. like get, get like those magazines. Don't, don't subscribe to the magazines that like are just about, I don't like not even mag, but like anything, there's stuff that like deep dives into how to yeah. get the how to stuff. And if that's not fun to you, you probably should just quit. Right. Like it's, it's fun to me and it's interesting to me to, to do the research, find a spot and realize when you get to that fucking spot that there are animals there and you were right. Yeah. Like, and then that's your spot. Well, like, like, like in my, I don't like to do, um, I don't like to do like the draw research yeah. or the tag research or any of that stuff. So I turn that over to my brother. Like, but what I really, really thrive on is, is once I have an area narrowed down, I love digging into that area, yeah. you know? So, yeah. um, it, you have to kind of like, there's ways to get around things that you don't like to be in order to focus on the things that you do like, you know, so every person's going to be different. And if all of this is just too overwhelming and too daunting, like I say, you know, go with yeah. an outfit or something and experience it. Cause the, the thing of it is, if you're not experiencing the West and experiencing those hunts, you can dream about it all you want but yeah. until you put a plan in motion and actually go out and do it. Then yeah. you real, then you figure out, if you've really got a taste for it and yeah. when you get a taste for it, then there's no stopping. Yeah, there's plenty go. of folks, plenty of folks that just don't have the time to do what we're yeah. talking about, yeah. you know, to do what Remy's talking about. So yeah, the, there are, the, 
options there's shortcuts man yeah. there's shortcuts to it and then you can decide whether this is the way you want to go and yeah. what one you want to play and if you're playing a single western hunt every year and doing all the research starting in february starting in january yeah and doing all the research then once you draw your tag or once you have your area spotted then you're going to continue to research that area maybe make a scouting trip in july and then go do your hunt in september like that that's a badass way to spend your time. The cool thing, the cool thing about like Remy's strategy, that's, that's pretty much what I do other than I don't put in for that many States, but you're, you can hunt elk every year. You yeah. know, I, I get to hunt elk every year because now that obviously I was from Idaho, so I have my spot where I go, but when you're coming out and you, you come out and have a great experience, guess what? All of a sudden you got your spot, you yeah, know, man. you got your over the counter spot. You can go to every year and then just kind of branch out and expand that territory and move territories but once you've done it once all the all the mystery all the fear everything else is out of the way and now it's like baller man this is gonna be sweet i I just moved to montana and i'm refusing any spots uh, any suggestions i'll tell you where to go don't tell me where (laughs) i don't want to know where to go i just want to if i fail for a couple years that's great i don't give a shit i would much rather do it on my own find spots you know wake up early in the morning, hike in and find there's eight other guys in there. I'd rather do it that way and be able to kind of get the intellectual property my own, my own way, whether it takes me longer or I get lucky and find some, some spots around town, who knows, but I, I want to go through it, you know, unfettered and just, and, and get it. Yeah. I, I think Tim brought up a good point and it, and I, it's something that I actually do as well is sometimes like the research. I mean, like I, I put a lot of research into, like applications of things, but I've also done that my entire life. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination 
on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. But another thing that I do is when you have a tag, you're better off to just pick an area, right? right? Like you can, the first time I ever went elk hunting in a fog neck was not because I heard of a fog neck elk. Nobody heard of a fog neck elk yeah, before. Yeah, before you I guys. Never, I knew started. nothing about it. it. Yeah. I randomly applied for it because I figured if I drew a tag there, then I would spend my time figuring it out. So I do that in a lot of states. Well, you like, showed me that in Alaska. You're I like, just dude, if you just generally know what's going on, apply for all apply these Apply for, like, pick a random unit in some place that's easy to draw. Apply for it. You're like, okay, don't worry about is it a good hunt? Is it this? Is it that? It doesn't matter. Once yeah. you have that spot, now you've focused your energy. Like, that's the nice thing about yeah. having a unit that you apply for is it forces you it gives it narrows down nine western states into one region. Yeah. And from that region, now you can do your research and hunt that region. Don't don't get so caught up in the detail of where am I going to go? What's the best place to go? This that and the other thing. Just pick a random place and focus on it. You will find a good hunt everywhere you go. People there's areas where people say there's no animals there. This area sucks. You can have a good hunt and in that area. And you need one you yeah, one you just need one. You don't need a hundred of them. Yeah, it doesn't you just matter. Need one. Yeah, just go pick a spot and and start. Just do it. That's probably the best advice I've I've heard on it. It's just like just do it. Just do. Sorry, it. I, oh Nike. Oh Nike. Say, no, you're just right. get it. Just, just get, get it. it. Go where you don't belong. Just Under get armor. it. Because <laughs> it just depends on what you want out of it too. You know, I mean, if if you're if you are a truly just a trophy mindset, which we 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 all probably have friends that are, that have that mindset. Then really, just the limited draws. That's your strategy. Yeah, and you're you, not. And you've made it harder for yourself. You know, which is fine. Limited. Which is fine. Now, I'm not Great. saying it's right or wrong, or it's whatever you want to do within if, the bounds of the law. But fine. if you just want to hunt every year and just rack up experience to increase your odds, so that when you do finally merge into that trophy game, yeah, that you're going to actually be able to do it. You know. So I'm speaking probably more to the younger crowd that wants to kill big deer and big elk right off the bat, but you know, maybe, maybe your skill level is not quite there. Maybe your mentor, you don't have the right mentors to take you in. Yeah. What, there's nothing wrong with just learning and hunting and experiencing hunting yeah, along I mean, the way. We've got a lot of, you know, a lot of people that listen to this are like, I'm 30 years old and I've just started hunting. And I, all I see on social media or wherever I'm taking in media is uh, dudes killing big bulls and big bucks out West. How do I get that? I'm like, well, 30 years of experience, yeah, maybe. Man, the I people you're watching have put in the experience. You're just not watching the experience. You're just watching the result and the success uh, a you're lot not- of times. So it's, it's to slow it down and just go hunt. Like You can just go and, and do a little bit of exploration. You know? and I feel like you're already speeding it up if you're, if you're starting with elk. Like yeah. you get, if you if you've never hunted the West, you're just so like go hunt some turkeys in the spring. Go go spot and stalk a black bear. Like there's there's things that you can do that aren't as I would say intensive as elk hunting. You know that you get to learn the country and learn the places. Uh, you also you have to go. be realistic of where you're hunting. I think you get. Uh, I think a lot of people just see all these elk pictures and they're like, oh yeah, it's these giant six by sixes. If you shoot a six by six in a general area, you're 
peak for the day or the week, depending on where you're at. Yeah. So you have to be realistic when I'm in, like, I love mule deer hunting. I love mule deer hunting. I love hunting big mule deer, mature bucks, you know, good scoring bucks. That's my thing. But if I'm in an area that doesn't have those, then that's not what I'm looking for. You look at the best representation of where you are. Right. And so you have to be realistic when I hunt elk in general area. I just look to hunt a legal bull. When I have a special draw tag, I am extremely, extremely picky on what I shoot. And the elk that I shoot on a limited draw tag is going to be a completely different representation of what elk hunting is than another area that I have just as much fun in just shooting a raghorn bull or cow or whatever. When I drew that tag at the Western Hunting Expo, I I felt like some... I got lucky as hell to draw this. I feel some sort of, you know, responsibility to everyone else that applied to go and do my work and set an expectation that's above where I would normally be. I'm from the East Coast. If you take me to Utah and plot me in the woods, man, I'm going to hike up the mountain and see a 320 bull and whack it. Like, that's, yeah. I got no problem with that. First day, last day, fifth day, fourth day. Don't care. But when I had that tag in my pocket, I'm thinking, I got I to gotta switch something else on here. <laughs> I can't. I got to leave my East Coast behind because because I owe it to, you know, all the people that wishes, wish they drew this tag like I did. Yeah, but your barrier of entry was really not a lot different than a, an over-the-counter tag, yeah. you know. So, theoretically, it could have been just like an exploratory yeah. over-the-counter could, hunt yeah. in Idaho, you know, for that matter. So, as long as you got the hunt out of it that you wanted yeah. and the experience that you wanted, that's good. And that's that's the, the biggest thing is I think guys just kind of have to look at this as – is, is hunting going to be a part of my life? You know, is it going to be something that I want to do for the long term and to bring my kids up in and my family or my friends? Or is it just something that I want? I just want recognition for killing the biggest stuff yeah, out that's there. That's great perspective you know? right um, there, man. Like that's, yeah. What are you, what are you trying to get? And it's like, it, golf. I mean, do you want to do it for your whole life? Yeah. Then enjoy it. Don't put I the do. stress of yourself on it that you're not going to, you're only going to kill one animal every three or four or five or six years because you're only going to draw that, that special tag that often you know yeah man i mean this there's so many like and there's so many options if you if we continue to go down like just specifically in the west there's so many i've i've i had a, a outfitted elk hunt in evanston wyoming with my dad a couple of years ago and we just were like man let's just grab a leftover antelope tag in wyoming because we're gonna be driving through there let's just grab a leftover tag and we'll tack on two or three extra days on our hunt and see if we can get it done we grabbed uh, two leftover tags right near Lusk, Wyoming, which is up in the middle of nowhere and almost on the South Dakota border and um, eastern central Wyoming. No research. We had a couple of maps, went out there with a Garmin GPS and a map, drove to the first piece of state ground in a unit where they said there were almost no antelope. And we had almost we had like a 96 percent chance of failure and shot two bucks on the first piece of mile long state ground that we came to. Was that luck? Fuck. Yes, it was. <laughs> but, but we just we just did it. And we didn't we had no expectations other than we'll see some cool country. We gotta be there anyway. Let's see if we can get There's an There's no pressure on no you pressure. at all. You know? Wait but till, if you're going into a trophy area, then it's like, oh well, a lot of pressure. That's a big buck, but is that the biggest buck? Yeah. You know, what am I gonna get out of it? Yeah. Yeah, and in the case where you're just like flipping the coin to see if there even be an antelope anywhere around where you're gonna be. Um that's how it is. And then we, we spent a couple other days just riding around that unit looking for, for antelope and just checking it out and didn't see maybe we probably saw 50 antelope in two days oh, out, really? other than the two that we shot. So, you know, chances were we weren't going to get bucks, but we did. So that's cool. We didn't take the chance, man. That experience you know, for my dad and I will be one we remember forever. We talk about it all the time. 
So it's worth rolling the dice sometimes. It's uh, it's the long game. You know, it's something that you can do, God willing, forever. You know, yeah. as long as our rights don't get taken away. So why why are we in such a rush? You know, and I don't, I'm guilty of it too. But yeah. it's, it's like, why do I want so much so, so fast? You know, um, I think we just need to slow down and just realize this is this is part of our culture and our heritage and our lifestyle. And that's what I'm going to do with my life is, yeah. is just hunt and gather and, and enjoy it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and it's a cra- then it becomes a craft, right? Sure, it becomes a craft instead of something that you just do to get the get the result, the adulation or whatever it is that you're after. Yeah, a friend of mine that I just met here with his boys there uh, that I introduced Remy to, he he brought up my my younger brother Boyd, you know, and he's like, it's so cool how your brother is more than just a hunter, you know, he's out there trapping beavers, and I saw that his daughter made a knife sheath out of the the beaver tail that they had trapped, and then he's out there making arrows and doing all. So he's like. Your brother, it's really his life, isn't it? It's his lifestyle. I'm like, man, he's been like that since he was 12. You know, there's more to it than just just going out on a hunt. There's all these little nuances that are that are related to hunting and then the nuances that are related to the nuances that just create this overall general lifestyle that yeah. is that I think is pretty dang cool. You know? Yeah, so do I. I mean, that's, it's making those, like, it's for people that watch and listen, making those things cool is important. Like making those things just as trendy as going out and killing a big bull. Like that, those things are, those things are key because it's, it's those little things that you come to you come to appreciate. Like pickling the gizzard off of you know off a fucking duck or something is like just as cool as pickled duck gizzard. Pickled duck gizzard. You like that, Remy Warren? I've never had a pickled duck gizzard. Sounds good though. I had one at Ronella's house the other day. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Or maybe it was a goose gizzard. One of the, one of the two. Well, just I just gizzard. I just like them in butter and onions. Yeah. Well. um... I'm, you're gonna, you guys have to bear with me. I'm testing out some segments, right? I don't, normally, we just talk and bullshit like we're, you know, like we're doing now. But I'm testing out segments to see if people want to hear like actual uh, directed conversation or they just want to hear bullshit. Uh, so the first segment that I'm working on, it's called First Timers. And you, gotta, you guys got to tell me, we're going to start with your first car. Just describe your first vehicle, who gave it to you. And right. uh, the experience, Remy, take it away. You're in Reno. Uh, you're here in Reno, Reno Nevada. Nevada. If you Let's paint the picture, if you knew me when I got my first car, it was called the Rambo truck. Ooh. It was a lifted 1985 single cab Dodge Ram with uh, it was painted. Uh, base was a matte tan. Oh, and I did my own desert camo on it. <laughs> Right as you would <laughs> Rambo truck, and Rambo it was it truck. was lifted. I think I had I had thirty fives on it. Oh yeah, um, it's like six and or? and no no sissy step. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> if if you but didn't it, have a mullet and a cowboy hat, this story yeah, needs this, to end yeah, right now. And I had a toolbox in the back that um, that I could lock and put my bow in or whatever, um, guns whatever. And then I got a. Uh, caravan camper shell for it oh, but i'd already camoed it so i did then i painted the whole thing um like green <laughs> and then had the caravan camper on it oh, so what, it was what like shade an, of green we talked about like um like an olive green like Ooh. slick looking and not matte it was it was a, a more shiny finish had a little bit of sheen to it and that <laughs> truck was just an off-road beast and you got it when you were 16 you buy it used uh when i was 17 because i wait oh well, that was a thing. I had the option of driving when I was 16 or getting a 
Winchester 300 short mag. So I used my money to buy a Winchester 300 short mag because I was like, I can continue to borrow vehicles, but I can't borrow a Winchester 300 WSM, which had just come out. Oh, and well I done. wanted that gun. And you, so I got when a Browning would... Able stainless stalker 300 WSM <laughs> <laughs> for the price of a, a used truck. truck. That was your first truck. Right? Well yeah. done. Now, when you're taking ladies on dates during those years, you would how would you get them up in the truck? Would you have to? It was like a jump thing. Would or, you have to tell them to jump, or like yeah. would you put your hand down, or would they step on your hand to get up in there? No, he'd push them by their butt, right? Yeah, yeah. push just them in their butt. Yeah, throw, oh yeah. Just yeah, it in. just it just depends. I'd, I'd drive up to a hill, or like um, I, you know, and then I actually had <laughs> he to only give, dated short women. Yeah, just for the I, I actually had to give my neighbor. I, I would give her rides to uh, school as well, and. Like at at one point, you just like screw it, and just like kept the step ladder in the back like a stepping stool. <laughs> but yeah, Rambo. How long did you keep the Rambo, Rambo truck? Um, I had that until I was probably twenty something. Because well, when the gas prices started going up, it it just got. When gas was under a dollar a gallon, it was oh, yeah. super easy to like. It didn't really matter. We're around the same age, yeah. When yeah. I got my when I got my license, it was like eighty five cents a gallon. Yeah. So and then it jacked up to about two bucks, and you get like six miles to the gallon and can't fit anybody else in it. So then I got, um, uh, I got a what are they like from one of those police auctions where they like repo? Oh yeah, stolen. Oh yeah, whatever. I got a like a Ford Ranger. Oh. Out one of those for fourteen hundred bucks, and it was like pretty new. It was a pretty solid deal. I had a Ford Ranger. That was my second vehicle, Ford Ranger Edge, like two thousand two, maybe. Ooh, like that. Did it have the step side? It did have the That's step side. It was it red? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't red. It was, mine was black. I mine was red, like. not because I wanted red, but that's the, that's, <laughs> that's what I got. Hurdle. Yeah. You're a flash type of guy. I can see yeah. that. Red step side, and it was low. Like I went from a high <laughs> truck. I could have drove over this Ford Ranger in my other truck. But it was um, it was an off road beast too. Like they were pretty good. I wanted a little bit smaller vehicle to navigate the hills a little better. Those four Rangers, man, they'll kick ass. They yeah. kick ass off road. Do it right, Tim. What what about you? So mine, I don't know what year it was. Like a nineteen eighty or eighty two Toyota pickup, the small one, whatever they were called way back yeah. then. It was. It actually, I think, used to be my grandfather's truck, and then be, my parents ended up with the truck at some point. But it was broken down in the backyard. The muffler was off. There was no hood on the thing. And um, my dad said, if you can get that truck running, then you can drive that to school. And so me and my brothers went out. We ended up getting this truck running, but it didn't have a hood. So I would drive it to school with no muffler on it. (laughs) It was the loudest thing that you could ever imagine. Yeah, it's like, oh, here comes the Burnettes in the the Toyota. So in shop class, um, I got this idea that I wanted to build some bumpers for it. So, uh, Mr. Roach, he, he found me some like nine inch yeah. round steel that I made these bumpers. And I remember the rear bumper weighed like 360 pounds <laughs> or something. The front bumper was just this giant, you know, bar of steel. And I just welded it to the brackets. Um, and I had that truck for about two months. And my brothers and I were out bahaing in the backfield. And the battery bounced out or something, landed on the motor, just <laughs> zapped and just blew up the entire thing. And so that truck was pretty short-lived under my reign. You didn't, um, you didn't put the battery back and put a hood on? No, well, you know, I had the hood that I was messing with in shop class, and I didn't know how to get the dents out of it, so I just filled it with putty. And so it was just all cracked and broken. And so pretty much 90% of the time, we just left the hood off. Left it off? Yeah. So it was pretty, pretty redneckish. <sighs> what year was that then? 
that you were, yeah. Less than yeah, a yourself. long time ago, <laughs> like a uh, 89, 90. Paint the picture. Did you have like? Did you have a mullet? Were you full redneck or what? Like, what was, are we looking at? I was the butch kid because uh, grow up, growing up on the farm, mom cut our hair or grandma cut our hair, and there was enough of us boys that it it had to be an event that didn't happen very often. So they shaved us all the way down like they would a oh. sheep, <laughs> and we wear we would wear that for you know a month or two, and then we'd get shaved again. You know, so this shaving like a sheep every yeah. time. That was my hairdo until I think junior high. I finally wore a uh, spike hairdo because one of my buddies had a flat top, and ah. I wanted a flat top, but mom couldn't figure out how to, you know, you butching it. So it's just a, it was like a round spiky flat top. <laughs> Remy, I gotta so. hear about your what's your like uh, high school attire memories. Like what's your what's your signature look? You had to have like oh, a oh man, what signature look? I don't know. I was jeans and anything that didn't Probably have a same. logo on it yeah i was really weird about i didn't want to be i couldn't fit into any logo so i was like I, i'm look i'm not a nike guy be yourself yeah you know maybe i would i don't know maybe i have like a i think i i, I wore vests i now i won't even put a vest on you're kind of a vest guy but i yeah i, I got a big vest thing yeah, going. i didn't i didn't um I, I wore the vest a lot you know, and then I just I, I can't vest it up anymore. I wear a vest because I, think I, I gave my, it up. my sister-in-law is in high, like high fashion, and she told me third piece, third piece, which means like you that's have a scarf. A, that means yeah, a like scarf. a scarf. So an I was ascot. Like, well, <laughs> an ascot. So you could maybe start wearing an ascot. The gloves scarf, count. But third piece is like a it's a very big deal in the fashion world. So I thought I'll just wear a vest. My third piece is the hat, and I I've worn a hat <laughs> every day since I was eight years old. Isn't that weird? Pretty much. I don't uh, know if I've ever not like. I don't even recognize myself. Live podcast to turn. Yeah, it someone's backwards. like, take your hat off, and I was like, I just don't. But I've had. I. It's a weird thing to think. Like I've had a beard since I was eighteen, twelve, and I well, I started I shaving 10. when I was twelve, and then <laughs> I've had a like. My parents wouldn't let me have, but it wasn't. It was kind of wispy, you know, when you're thirteen, fourteen, <laughs> and then and then mine still. Yeah, is. and then the hat. You know, I would take it off for school, but. Yeah. As soon as I got back in old Rambo, Go that hat Rambo. came on. Yep, I would park. I would park off the. I wouldn't park at school because I would never have a truck that didn't have a gun in it. Like I always <laughs> thought that was sacrilegious. You like bad. to have a to I, have a truck that does. And I had the gun rack in the back, but I didn't put gun. And unless I was once I was boonie bashing, then it was guns <laughs> in the back, you know. But. I think I thought it was like sacrilegious to have like a good truck that didn't have a gun. In it. <laughs> I don't think that was an issue at our school. I don't ever remember. I mean, we had gun racks in the truck and everything. It was definitely an issue at my school. Was it? Because I was, I feel like I was in uh, coming up, like coming of age in high school, right around the Columbine thing. Mm. So I was was the happy recipient of all the restrictions of all the shit they were trying to do after Columbine. And so there was like, we couldn't wear jackets in the hallways when I was, yeah, you couldn't wear like a, a long jacket or a jacket. You had to get, you had to get a pass to go to the bathroom. It's like, you couldn't have a gun anywhere near school, let alone in your truck. See, my uh, elementary school was at the time out, it's outside of Reno and it was a lot smaller. Now town's like moved out to that area. Yeah. But where I went to elementary school on, I think it was, it was probably, I don't know how, what grade are you in 10 about fourth or fifth grade, fourth or fifth, whatever. Like that, yeah. for, for show and tell, I brought my single shot 410. <laughs> and the principal's only thing was, don't bring it loaded. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Awesome. Like, my dad had to be like, days. my dad came in and, like, dropped it. He's like, you can't keep it here, but you can bring it in for that. 
and just couldn't be loaded, you know. And I, and I went over <laughs> gun safety. Yeah, we checked it, and I and I, I I did the show and tell and told the class like never point at anything you don't intend to kill, like you know. The, the talked about safety my rules. first hunting experience <laughs> two years earlier with the four, single shot four ten. I like this. Isn't that funny? Like, <laughs> well, you could never do that today. When no. we were kids, I we we talked about it on another podcast I did, but they used to. At a certain period of time in the fifth grade, I think, or sixth grade, it was like, well, now it's hunter safety time, yeah. you know, this week. And so within in the schools, you'd go and you'd do hunter safety. Driver's education was the same way. It was like, oh, it's time. Everybody's going to go do it. Well, yeah. I mean, in Pennsylvania and Maryland, they, 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 you'd get off for opening day of rifle season. You got off school. You're off school like the day before, I think, and the day at, like the Friday and the Monday, maybe something like that. I can't remember. That was but, spud harvest for us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, you're, now you're being Idaho and Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we we get off school for opening day, like opening day of hunting season. You off school? Can you like that is? You cannot imagine that right now. And I'm not talking. I'm 33. I'm not talking like long, long time ago. Yeah, it's, it's not that long ago. No, but things like, have changed so fast and so you know, it's just weird. And there still are places like where Tim so. grew up. It, they probably haven't <laughs> changed much. <laughs> no, they've changed it. Now they go to school four days a week instead of five. Uh, they don't do hunter safety in school anymore. Um, they don't do driver's ed in school anymore, but Damn. I think they still let you out for spud harvest. So. Hmm. Well, you got to keep that tradition alive. Yeah. The spuds but, must be harvested. Well, the school, I think the school's probably the same size. There's been no growth. It's just different people, you know, ones that stayed alive well my next my next part of this was first rifle but we so we already know remy's first rifle oh first, no that wasn't my first that rifle. was your first rifle no. okay give us your first rifle uh the first rifle i ever received was a youth model uh remington 700 in 243 Ooh. topped with a burris three to nine um no not burris bushnell bushnell and you know i give bushnell a lot of ship that's that scope or I'm privately giving. <laughs> 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 Whoops! Uh, just amongst small circles. Yeah, you know, just you know, like, us, us when you're girls. out there, you just whatever. Um, but yeah, that was that was a good scope. I still have that that setup, that rifle set up that way. I was gonna swap it out, maybe put a new uh, new stock on it, and short barrel. It's got the open sights, but the scope over the top. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. it's good. And I they shot. Do that anymore? Um, do any any companies? advertise the the open sights and the scope over the top uh, with the open rings yeah Saco does they do still yeah they've got well they're bigger bore rifles but you can order them probably just because the, of the european running game situation yeah but i'll tell you what man you can shoot really accurate with some open sights i know i, I know i'm thinking about just going open sights on some rifle some open sight how much more fun is it with a rifle to stock in you know the long range thing i've i've done i've I mean, I, I was in that crowd that was, like, pioneering some long-range hunting, <laughs> let me tell you. But at, once you've done it, now you're kind of thinking, man, remember when I just used to hunt with open sights? And I also had, it, about the same time, I had an open sight 30-30. Yeah. So it was kind of, I would swap on my first deer hunt, taking the open sight 30-30 and the scope yeah. 243, depending on the type of terrain that I was going because. If I was in the tall sage, we're busting up bucks. We're going, right. we're swinging. <laughs> lever at lever. Yeah, lever. yeah, I started hunting with a hawking uh, 50 cal, a freaking patch and round ball, spitting on the patch, dumping the powder, putting the round ball in, put the little starter. You know, that's how I started hunting. So it was open sights for quite a while until I got my first rifle, with a scoped rifle at least. Um, 
So that's how it started for me. What about you, Tim? What was so your I, first? I used Dad's. Uh, he had a Winchester 30-30 lever action yeah. that I used on my first two deer, actually. Um, and then he had also a 223 over-under hinge action. So oh, it was yeah. a 223 20 gauge, I believe. Um, and I killed a couple of deer with that when I was, was in high school. Was that a Stevens or a... Uh, I want to say Thompson, but oh, I, yeah. I don't Could really Thompson, know yeah. for sure. Um, and right. it had another, it had one of those, you know, bronzed Burris scopes on it or whatever yeah. it was. So I kind of went back and forth between those. And then when I was a senior in high school, I bought a gun from the neighbor down the street from um, Bart Wanstrom. It was a thirty, it was a thirty, uh, excuse me, a thirty out six pump Remington, no scope, and I, he sent me a ten shot clip with it. Oh yeah. So. Um, I remember the first time I thought, oh, I'm going to go out and just run through this clip as fast as I can with this pump action 30-06. <laughs> and that didn't feel very good. Uh-oh, so. Remy's dad is here. He just oh, walked by. He's man, on the phone I'm, now. if I had another set of headphones. <laughs> Remy's the stories dad, he could he's tell. Gonna know, he's gonna you want to get a podcast guest, oh, that's the guy. Yeah. He's, got, he's got some wild stories. He's going to be able and if to he, and if he doesn't have a good all story, the shit yeah. you're saying right now. Oh, yeah. Make sure we're telling the truth. Exactly. He's going to tell stories that Remy doesn't even remember, I'm sure. Well, see, the Rambo truck was originally his truck. He he, that was our hunting truck, and then that got passed down. So it, it, it's a long line of loving like Rambo big trucks. Oh, yeah. I named it. You, you named it Rambo. You have to you have to name a truck. But okay, is this here's a, here's a question? What was the name of your first truck, or the names of your vehicles? And can you name a new vehicle? It's hard to name a new vehicle, but if you want to have a personal relationship with the vehicle, you kind of have to give it a name. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list 
book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. I name my guns too. I name my guns. I have, a, I have some only, but named like guns. a gun to get a name for me has to have like a lifetime of like. Is it female? Or are we going oh. female or male names? Yeah. So I, my I only have one gun that I actually that has a name, but I could name my shotgun, but I just haven't. What's the gun that has a name? Hannah. Hannah. And That's Hannah, my wife's name, man. Oh well. Back off. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Um, but Hannah, I mean, Hannah's just a bad bitch. <laughs> <She's>, uh, <laughs> Hannah's just shot, gets it done. Yeah, because, I mean, I use it hunting for myself, and then I also use it as my guide gun, like yeah. giving to other people, and I've taken it all over the world. I mean, that gun shoots great still. Like, I haven't shot the barrel out for somehow, and I, I don't even know. That, that gun just – you just point at what you want it to knock over, and it's like a clean kill every time. I think I killed my stag and my tar you with did. Hannah. Yeah. yeah. Sweet gun. Very few of my friends have not rode him. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> sorry, honey. Uh, you got any named guns, Tim? No, I don't name them. I named my kids. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I, I did name kids. the Solorado. That was, you know, I had that truck for 15 years. I named the Solorado. But uh, she's since gone away, so I, my first, I just my, don't. My first vehicle, listeners will, of course, know this. But my first vehicle was a, uh, a, 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 called a Summit Eagle, but it was like a car van. It was like a little Sounds mini rapey. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit. It was a bit rapey. It was like periwinkle blue, and it had like it looked like if you cut it in half, you'd have like a sedan on one half, and the back half was like a van. So we just called it the car van. And it, I mean, you could fold the seats down. You could do a lot of stuff with this thing. It was very like I'm picturing vehicle. a hearse for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was like a hearse. If well, you I'm a gremlin. What are those? The gremlins? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I have to. I'll I have to Google it and show you guys what it looks like. It's a very impressive vehicle, but it. But I I drove that for man probably two or three years. Of course, I inherited that from my brother, who inherited it from my grandfather. So it wasn't. It had a bit of a reputation. In Did it have a name? <laughs> it didn't really. The Carvan. Carvan. The name of it. It was a Summit Eagle. It was very. I'm not embarrassed by it, but it could have been better. It could have. It could have done better. So no other vehicle names. Just no I, new names. I not don't a, think any. No. I, I thought about naming my new truck, but I just didn't feel it. I just didn't right. feel right. It didn't feel like it had any history to it. It might. See might later true. on yeah. if I give it to my kid. Maybe he'll earn name a it. Name. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'll give it to my kid in 15 years, and he'll he'll name it something. We had the Rambo truck, the Scorpion, which was a 1980 Land Cruiser. Oh. That. It was Scorpion because we had a Gambrel game hoist on the back. <laughs> I mean, that thing was tricked out for off-road. Then the Beast, which was an F-250 in the style of Rambo uh, truck. Your dad, like, your, yeah, your he, dad's he builds, a My dad ass, just builds. Da- he built like, that's his hobby is just making off-road vehicles. <laughs> Has he lifted his new truck yet? No, because he, he's got his, like, he he just like gets project cars, I guess, and like makes them into something cool and gets rid of them, and then again and again. From the, and like again. the stories that I like that I've heard about your mom and her game spotting abilities, and then now your dad. Like I feel like you had like the most badass parents. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like these are. This is a top shelf experience. Top shelf experience. Yeah. yeah. You've done. You've done well. Oh yeah. You've done well. Um, I think that's it for f- the first things. I think that. Uh, 
that covers pretty much. We've learned I like a lot. That segment. That, that could get you like that? You think that should stuff? be like yeah. a, a regular recurring situation? Yeah, if you got a guest like Remy, you know, they really could tell good stories. Yeah, sure, we got a good storyteller. Get a lamo like me, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't go down fine. that road. You're fine. If people don't want to hear my first every fucking every episode. I got to <laughs> say the same thing. <laughs> and we'll see how that goes. The other one I was thinking about is um, like hacks, hunting hacks, like shit that you do that no one knows that that you've just developed over the years. I'm sure both you guys being solo hunters and, and running around by yourself have developed things that you're like, oh, there you had a problem and you solved it and you solved it in a way that is repeatable for other folks. Something in your pack, something in your truck, some kind of trick of your trade that, uh, that you'd be willing to share with the audience. I feel like I have a lot of them, but just to think of, just think of one, you're on the spot. One. Okay. Um, well, this is, I mean, it depends. Like if I'm filming, like I've got a million different hacks for hunting and filming. Yeah. Give us the, I mean, yeah, that's perfect. Oh, you, no, you know what? This is, you guys have revolutionized is, the hunting and filming yourself. Game. I'll tell you that this is a, just a hunting hack that if you don't do this, you're an idiot. Yeah. Um, don't be an idiot. Yeah. yeah. This <laughs> here, here's, here's, it's more of a rule. Like, yeah a bow hunting rule and I think a lot of people have this rule but there's some that don't and I've been on hunts with people that don't have this rule and it's bit them in the ass when you're bow hunting your release is either on your bow or on your <laughs> wrist there is no other place that release right. goes it doesn't go in your pocket it doesn't yep. go in the seat of the truck yep. it doesn't when you go to the bathroom it doesn't get put anywhere else than on your bow or on I did this like you're calling me out I know I, there's nothing worse than hiking in four miles somewhere especially when you're guiding and you go, oh, there's a bull bugling down there. And the guy goes, I don't know where my release is. <laughs> that, it, it's just, it's a pet peeve. Well, with like a thumb release or you know, like a lot of these, you know, the ones that Dudley's putting out there, or Carter puts out there, um, you have to kind of, you know, when I leave the house to go to work, I go keys, wallet, phone. Like yeah. when I, when I, anytime I take any break in hunting, I'm usually going like release, if I you know, I would toilet paper. I would put a paracord on that and strap it to my something. Yeah, I don't know. That's actually not a put a paracord a and idea. put it around your wrist. I don't know, but there's so many releases out there that aren't attached. Yeah, and that's uh, to your wrist anymore. Then you're gonna have an uphill battle for the rest of your life. Every your time you go life. to the bathroom, what release are you running? Are you running? I have a the wrist same strap? release I've used for the last since I started hunting. A uh, Scott Mongoose, I guess. Yeah. It's probably I think 12 years old. Maybe this. Know. That's maybe that's a suggested hack for listeners. Like. Yeah, figure, figure it, out, it out. Yeah, I mean, now, okay, create a system. Yeah. And I also, when I'm in the hills, I, I have a system. So my, like, you keep things in the same pockets. So when I get up, I can do a, a quick pat, and I know if I have everything or if that's I've right. set my phone down. That's or where I'm, I, that's and where I'm get at. in the habit of doing the hack pat. Be paranoid. The hack pat. The like, hack pat. Be paranoid about the stuff that's in your pockets. Like, exactly. I got to have my, I'm always like, I got to have my, oh, where's my Garmin? Where's my, oh, 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 always. Paranoid, paranoid, paranoid. Once you change it, that's when things go south. Especially if you're running Onyx nowadays, and your phone is, is like a bit yeah, of your yeah. lifeline in, yep. in a lot of ways. Exactly. You know, get one of those D-clips or something. Clip it to something. Make sure you have it where you can't fall out. Because um, we were hunting in Lanai. I had the... I was I was running the FHS bino harness and the freaking thing broke and my yeah we spent my, a long time looking for those <laughs> my binos. prototype loophole binos fell right out of my right out of my bino harness and into the dirt and then gone forever probably some local probably picked them up using them now but they were good I like those things yeah those are cool um, 
So that happens. Tim, you got a, a, a particular hack that you like to prescribe? I don't. Along those lines, I keep I try to keep everything in the same pocket all yeah. the time. You know, or the same. If I change packs, it's always in the same general. Yeah. Do you location, have a filming? I'm so. interested in the filming conversation too, because you guys do it so much and you do it on your own. Yeah. Um, I get asked that a lot, and um, I think because we do it so often that I don't really think about what I do that's yeah. different than what anybody else might do. It's more just repetitive nature and doing the exact same thing for so long and just kind of having a system of of where everything goes. You know, the camera's always set up regardless if, it, if it's in my pack or on the tripod. It's it's all we set up where it needs to be. So I don't know. It's it's hard to say. It's, it's more just repeat, repeat, repeat. Um, getting comfortable with it if something changes and that's what that's when your mind goes and yeah. you, know, you start screwing up so have you developed over know. the years with types of cameras you're using or the, the types of tripods you're using to film yourself yeah i think the biggest transition was when we kind of moved from using just a, a handy cam to a dslr or i did i did earlier than remy i think you're still using that handy cam a little bit aren't you no um, i went dslr before you went DSLR, but then I went you to Handycam. I reversed because I didn't have. <laughs> yeah, so I went Handycam when I got that new. Yeah, it's a long story, but yeah. Handycam? So you're yeah. running DSLR now, though? Yeah, well, I, I run. Every, I carry four cameras in there. I've got six hands. Remy so I do likes it all to at frustrate once. the editor because he'll use four different <laughs> cameras and. Then just give me a hard drive and say, uh, you should, you should be able to figure out the order of everything. Yeah, it's cool. My system is when I'm stocking in on something, I set the tripod up ahead of time. That's, that's the hard part that's is getting the tripod set and have the camera running. I like it. And uh, don't let your release clink on the tripod. Yeah, I always hold my release in my hand with the tripod and these two fingers kind of a lot of relief i know it's hard i'll bet there's a lot of little things that we do that if we thought about it yeah if you really sat down and other people might not think about it but because we've done it so much it's it's what i should start doing is like i film the stock while i'm stalking so i set the camera up i crawl forward i crawl back i most of the time when i get in on a deer i've stalked it three times what I should do is just BS it and stalk it after the <laughs> no, fact. But what? you never do it. You'll never no, go back won't. and do it. You won't. So you have to do it when you do it. Otherwise. What what you do different is like, I because I edit your footage and he's not lying. Like, that's exactly how it is. He'll do a stock two or three different times. And um, I can't do that. I just have to turn on a camera somewhere so that there's a camera running somewhere while I'm moving. And if it's just filming the dirt or my feet or my head or whatever. Like I'm always filming as I'm moving in, but I don't. I don't have the cojones to to sneak in and then sneak back out. Like, I snuck I into thirty yards, and then and I was like, "Man, nobody knows that it's thirty yards." But I just do it just <laughs> because that's how I am. I'm we've like, been, but we've been talking about that a lot on this this year program about how like hunting is just the one thing. If, if you're talking about sports, somebody's watching you. Yeah, you can't bullshit that. If it's it's if the puck goes in the goal, the puck goes in the goal. In hunting, you certainly like you're creating the narrative. I'll tell you, like, I, I want to release sometime, which I probably should. Um, like just the raw footage in its in its original time code, so yeah. someone could look at it and say, "Whoa, they didn't they didn't fudge that." You know, that was recorded before the kill happened. You know, and and there's times too when I'm editing that I put it together, and then I feel like it needs something, and so I'll look to a piece that might be three days after or three days yeah. before and pull that piece in to kind of make it flow a little bit better just from a cinematic standpoint. But um, Well, how do you tell a two-week story in 22 minutes? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It makes yeah, sense. Man. You that's have to I'm pull saying. from other things. But 
you know, you have to get all that stuff while you're, yeah, because one stock, you know, you might be able to only show one of the 23 stocks. Yeah. But you need, you need pieces that show that one stock, and it might be three spot stocks combined yeah. when you're editing, but they were all one stock. Sometimes, you know? <laughs> usually, but sometimes, usually not. Yeah, not. Usually it's all... Depends I, how, like, aggressive I'm being yeah. when I'm filming. I think our philosophy all along has been um, we're not out there to create a film or we're not out there to create a hunt. We're out there to document an experience. Yeah. You document a hunt. And so I think all along we've always put the episodes together in the order that it happened and as it happened, regardless. You know, so the first stock that Remy blew, it might have been the best footage, you know, where he sets up the tripod and the deer's on the other ridge and he sneaks up and pops up in frame, you know. That might be the best footage, and then the kill shot might have been nothing. You know, yeah. it might not have been any filler foot, but that's just the way it is. We use the, the cool stuff when it happened and the reality of, of the kill as it happens. Yeah. So. Well, that might be a good way to close this one out so we can get back to winning sheep hunts. Best solo hunter story, like best, you know, maybe not best episode, but the best story you have from your time filming yourself out outside. I'm sure that's a laundry list of mm. of things that you've done. But is there is there one Tim that stands out that it just was above best? all? Yeah. No, maybe the no. coolest, awesome, just one that one that you comes know, to mind. Oh, or so like this, a mishap, a mishap, or something crazy, anything. Um, so this year, I mean, I don't know. This year, I went went to Kodiak with a buddy of mine, and we. We camped together and we'd split off and, and hunt throughout the day. And as we left camp that morning, we wanted to go after some caribou. And once we got up to this, this ridge and glassed where these caribou were, or reindeer actually on, on Kodiak, he's like, uh, no way in hell I'm going that far, you know, to do. And I, and I was in at that point, I was like, this first day, I want to go get one of those reindeer. I don't care. I can pack it out all day tomorrow. That's fine yeah. with me. So we split up and I went out, went and did that. And the herd kept moving further and further away. And I ended up, anyway, I work in and I kill this reindeer and I look back, I'm like, I'm five miles from camp, you know? And I, when, when you're on that part of the island, it's really muskeggy and marshy and yeah. just really crappy to walk through. I crossed a, a, a ditch that's, you know, chest deep and I had to get the, the caribou back. I didn't want to have to do that twice. So I deboned everything, put it all on the pack and just took it out in one trip. And the first, it was like 300 yards to get to this creek. And I got to there just fine. And then I actually got buried in the, the grass because I couldn't find my, where, the crossing. Because it's, it's like, if you can picture, it's like a, a canal bank where yeah. there's, there's, no, there's no easy slope into it. It's just a drop off, deep water, drop off back up. So I found this one, one spot and I, on the way back, I couldn't find it. So I had to take off my pack, unload everything until I found that. And then I had to ferry that across. Well, it took me like three hours just to get everything across the creek. <laughs> and by then it's getting dark. Um, but there was no way I was going to go back there. So that I think was just a really strenuous pack out that I was just laughing at myself the entire time. Like, what, what are you doing? Just call Austin and have him come help you, you know? Yeah. But it was kind of just this, this I'm mental by myself. barrier. I'm doing it by myself. I'm like, screw that. I, I got to do this. And um, we both actually walked into camp about midnight. He had a load of a blacktail and I had a load of caribou. And it was just, that was like super, super memorable, you know? Yeah. Uh, that's this most recent. There's a lot of them over the years, but I have holes in my brain, cheese, cheesy brain. I can't remember any Cheesy brain? Yeah. Cheesy brain. I can't remember. <laughs> no, nah, I mean, I think it, it how has it changed you to, to do, you know, spend that much time by yourself out there filming? I mean, uh, you know, I, I would, would admit to openly admit to being like, uh, 
being around people is as much what the hunting thing is for me as anything. So I'd openly admit to be like, I like hunting by myself, but I also, you know, there's a lot of times where I love the big camps and big vibes. So like, how is that, how is um, doing it this way kind of change your perspective? I, I think my preference is, is to be with other people. Yeah. You know, I mean, I like hunting alone for sure, but I, I love spending camp with people. But it's not, you know, it's not the way that the things happen. It's not the way the, the show went. And, and it, um, the thing that I really enjoy about the solo part of it is it's really taught me some mental fortitude, you know. And I think it's, it's made me um, think about things differently. And it's, it's kind of made me more stubborn in a lot of ways because yeah. now I look at every aspect of my life and I feel like I can do it on my own, you know. And, and it's almost to a fault where you don't ask for help or you don't, you don't accept help when it's offered. It's like, screw that. I can, I can do that. No problem. And part of that is really solid and good. And other parts of it is like, eh, maybe you need some help every once in a while. But I think for me, I like that part because when I do accomplish something like that, there is no other euphoric feeling in the world of yeah. when you walk into camp at midnight and you just hauled out a caribou and you did it on your own. And, and whether it's an elk or a, you know, whatever it is, when you accomplish something on your own, that's on you. That's, there's nobody else that can take take credit for that, you know. And, and so that's that is extremely fulfilling. Extremely. Yeah. Well, and then you get to share it with a bunch of people. Yeah, if you if you if you do it right, if you're filming it. Yeah, if you do it right. <laughs> is that a part of it yeah. for you too? That it always interests me. Like the motivations when, once you film for a long time, kind of yeah. once you've been a content creator for a long time, like how that how that like shifts your hunting motivations, whether it does or not. Not saying that it does, but uh, without a doubt, if if I'm not filming in a, in a an event. Um, I don't get as much out of it. Yeah. Just, just, and I've done it. You know, like the biggest bull I've killed, bull elk I've killed, I didn't film it because I wanted to just go kill a big bull elk. And even though I got an awesome bull, it felt unsatisfying because I really, it would have really been an easy situation to film it. You yeah. Know? Um, so for me, undoubtedly, I, I love the filming aspect of it. I love bringing it home and creating something that I feel is a value with that. I love sharing it. I love getting the feedback. You know, I like praise of, of when something goes good. And, and honestly, I like negativity when it comes of, hey, yeah. maybe you could have done this different. Because, you know, Remy and I had this conversation at lunch the other day. I continually want, I, like, I genuinely want to be better. I don't, yeah. I feel um, almost insecure at times because I want to be better at what I do. And when I'm, if I'm not filming it, I have no form of reference to look back on and say, <laughs> That's oh, a great point. Hey, I can be better. You know, I can hunt better. I can film better. I can produce better. Yeah. No, I think it, it's, it's for you too, Remy. I mean, I think it just, once you've put content out there consistently and that's how you hunt, that's what you do. There's, I feel like there's just no, there's no other way than to have it change you a little bit, to change no. your motivations, intrinsic, extrinsic, whatever, you know, to, to change the way that you see these types of things. You have thoughts on that, Remy? Yeah, no, I mean, it definitely changes the way you look at things, especially because, like, bow hunting or whatever. It's hard enough endeavor as it is. Then you add the filming aspect and the spot and stock, and and it makes it so much more difficult. But now, like, on some hunts, I've just been like, ah, I'm not going to film. And I realize, wow, I am a much better hunter than I was. <laughs> right? When, yeah. Because you have to pay attention to so much when you're filming. It's yeah. almost like it's too easy when I'm not filming. Yeah, now. it's like running a marathon with a weight vest on. Right. Or and like then you take you, that weight you vest take off, that weight and, vest like off and you don't have this handicap. And you're yeah. like, I don't even know if I'm into this as much as the filming adds such a challenge that it becomes more of like, 
okay, it's it's almost like going from bow hunting to traditional hunting or something. Yeah. Like it's it's that added challenge that you're like, okay, I kind of crave this added challenge, and it kind of lets you know, man, what like how much you've learned along the way, and by doing a task that's hard, even and making it harder on yourself. And the other thing is just the self control thing of when I go on a hunt and I'm have the intent of filming it. I, if I don't have that intent of filming it and commit to it, I won't do it. Yeah. So I have to say, no matter what happens, I'm filming. And there's been hunts where the best, one of the best deer in my life, I had to let go within bow range because I couldn't get the camera set up. And that is like, I still kick myself over that, but <laughs> I also am stoked that I really committed to it. Yeah. I, in some, in some levels. Now I may never draw that tag again. And that really makes me sad, but, um, <laughs> and somebody else shot that deer and that made me sad, but it just happens. Yeah. You know, um, I would say my, uh, most memorable. Yeah. Close us out with, with yeah, just I'll a, give you with a, a most memorable solo hunter story. Yep. All right. So I've done a lot of stuff, you know, solo in New Zealand and I'm like, okay. And, and I, I found this new spot and I'm going to go tar hunt. I load up my pack. I'm going to be gone for a while. I've got, you know, when you're packing in for solo and filming, I've got two cameras, all their batteries, um, recording, you know, audio stuff, batteries for that batteries for this battery, the whole, the whole kit plus my camping gear plus everything. My pack is extremely heavy. There's not. It's and then you got to think. Okay, I'm going to be packing something out. It's going to be even heavier. Yeah. And I'm going to probably do it in one trip because I just this is a pain in the ass. So I find this spot. It's about a six mile arduous hike, and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to film because the stuff's in my pack. I was like, I'm just going to film once I get, you know, six miles back because yeah. just put your head down and grind. Sometimes you know yep. there will be plenty of opportunity to film. So I get back there, and it was a it was a gnarly hike. I'm back up on the mountaintop. I set up my camp and I did some filming. And then I, I'm sitting there and I spot this bull tar. And I'm like, perfect, right? So I stash some stuff in my tent. And, uh, and I go and I turn the camera around to film the tar. And I look and it's flashing no memory. And I'm like, uh-huh. oh, my card must be full. I didn't have a memory card in the camera. So I dig through my entire pack. No memory cards anywhere. None. Of, no, I just was hitting record because I couldn't see the screen when I was setting up camp. And I had hiked all the way in there. No memory cards with all my equipment. <laughs> and I'm like, screw it. I just left everything in the tent, went up, shot the tar, packed it out, loaded up my pack. And that was my punishment of just trudging back. <laughs> Didn't you have some cell phone footage I got footage some cell of phone yeah. footage of it. I was like, yeah, I got all the way up here. Just like, a, and I, I literally was like, I'm going to film this really well. And I'm just going to commit. I think I had, I mean, I had all my big lenses. It was one of the heaviest pack-ins I've ever had. And one of the heaviest, my pack was probably 80 was pounds so going in. Like I literally have like a long lens like this. That lens, I don't even know. Yeah, takes you, up you had the Sigma, didn't the you? The Sigma, lens, that thing. Oh and I had, I, you had were thinking three, at the time, I had like, three lenses, two cameras. I'm like, I'm going to go in and just do something I haven't done before. It's just like not think go light. I'm going to go on a backcountry hunt and, 
and honestly just kill it this time. Just get footage nobody's got of these things, <laughs> like this Sigma lens, and, and then I had my spotting scope. I, I had all my shit. <laughs> it was the heaviest. It was like packing an animal out in and then i shot an animal and backed it out it was that that was a funny adventure that no one will share in that reminds me of the time that we recorded a podcast with no memory card memory card (laughs) that brings it right back home right back home. one of the first podcasts ever about it was probably like a year ago it was it was uh, it was a year ago next week no a year ago next week remy and i recorded probably the best outdoor podcast ever to be recorded no one will ever the hear lost it. Files. The lost files. I, I listened to the B file. I, I missed the A file. So. Yeah. Uh, that's it. Well, boys, uh, let's go win some sheep hunts. You down for that? Perfect. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate it. See you. That's it. That's all. Episode number 48 in the books. Remy and Tim, thank you for joining me here at the Yeti booth. All these wonderful products, Yeti products. They're happy, you know, since I'm a former employee, I mean, I think they're happy to have me around. Or maybe I'm just a burden. Who really knows? Um, But you guys know Yeti. They're great. Uh, And Tim's great. Remy's great. What a good conversation. Uh, Appreciate those boys sitting in. Appreciate them tolerating my, uh, my discovery on segments of what works and what doesn't. Here on the podcast, we're always trying to make things better. But I hope you learned a little bit about western tags a little bit about the life and times of these two interesting men and you can follow them uh, on instagram you can check out solo hunter you can check out all remy's work and all tim's work all over the place in our industry and world uh, what else what else as always yeah, well right now we just did the first ever uh well not the first ever but the first for this tour for the mediator podcast live we're going to be continuing to go to towns near you so if you go to the mediator.com you click on events you're going to find a schedule there and that schedule will tell you where we are and what we're doing and uh, exactly when we are doing it so go there check it out and then when you're there hit subscribe on the newsletter and then also go to the shop check out the hunting collect merch that's in there intermingling amongst the meat eater merch and the wired to hunt merch and, and all the awesome gear that meat eater incorporated has cobbled together for you uh, in, a, in a great way so i would just want to close this episode by saying as always thank you for listening uh, and our traveling to the shows and our traveling to shot show and our traveling to sheep show we i have been able to run into a lot of you that uh, listen to one of our podcasts or all of them and it has been uh, motivating and inspiring without trying to be too melodramatic. It's really yeah, it is inspiring to talk to people um, about what they love to do and their, how they're affected by what we do. Uh, it's really amazing and uh, a situation I never thought I would find myself in. But now that I'm here in, in this program, <clears throat> is something that I'm doing. I really just enjoy the interaction with all of you anywhere we can get it so continue to to write it on instagram to email me uh continue to provide that feedback because we want it and we want all of it we can get also hey wherever you listen itunes wherever that is go there and leave us a nice review or a mean review whatever you want to do people tend to do both uh leave us a review go to itunes go to the hunting collective page and leave us a review a written review about what you think we want to hear from you there uh and leave us a, a star rating as it were uh, that's my only task other than all those other things I said. So, uh, 
Until next time, thanks for listening to The Hunting Collective. Bye-bye. After three years of work, our follow-up to the Meat Eater Fish and Game Cookbook is here. It's the Meat Eater Outdoor Cookbook, wild game recipes for the grill, smoker, campfire, and camp stove. Here is your book for everything that's best cooked or eaten outside, from grilling to open fire cooking to Dutch ovens to smokers to barbecue to backpacking meals to how to pull off the perfect fish fry with pit stops along the way for lessons about Ice Age cooking methods and the best five ways to construct a cooking fire you can be proud of. And of course, we're focusing on wild game and fish here with over 100 recipes, including stuffed venison burgers three ways, wild duck with ahi verde sauce, a jerky made with cola, a gin and tonic made with fire charred lemons, and grilled frog legs made with a sticky sweet sauce. This ain't your normal cookbook, so be prepared to be surprised. Get your copy now. For more info, visit TheMeatEater.com or buy it wherever books are sold.